0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Dallas Bible Church. I'm not sure when you're watching this, but I'm glad that you are, whether that's on our YouTube platform or our church streaming platform, we're glad that you are worshiping with us this Sunday. My name is Zane Parsley. I'm on staff here at Dallas Bible Church, and for the next few weeks, myself and Kyle Martin will be filling in for Pastor Aaron as he and Kat and Caleb are on sabbatical and are seeking the Lord and rest and relaxation, and Kat and Aaron, if you're watching this, our prayers are with you, and we are greatly looking forward to your return. Well, a few months ago, when the COVID-19 crisis first began, my wife and I found ourselves visiting West Virginia uh, with my parents. And while we were there in West Virginia with my parents, we were able to enjoy the simple joys of cable television. Now, for many of you, that may not seem like a big deal, but we're millennials, so that means we don't pay for cable TV. We use streaming services and instead pay for that. So while we were watching cable TV, we were reminded of the joys of commercials. You guys remember commercials, right? And I don't know if you all remember this or not, but in the first two weeks of COVID, there was a really like kind of strange anomaly going on with commercials. There was a huge disconnect as we watched them. So there'd be like, People spending their Capital One card at a crowded coffee shop or having a party at their friend's house with their wide-brimmed hats. And every time Tori and I would watch these ads, we'd think, ugh, that's not right. You're supposed to be separating from each other. You're not supposed to be at a crowded coffee shop. And then about two weeks later, I guess this is how long it takes for an ad campaign to get launched, all the commercials began to look the exact same. Do you guys remember that? You would have like these cuts of families, social distancing together in their kitchen or on the couch playing games or on a Zoom call and you'd have this dramatic music come over it with the piano and you'd have a a narrator and a voice that would come through and he'd say, in these trying times, you guys remember that? It was in every email too, in these trying times, in these unprecedented times, Pringles is here for you. Oh, okay, great. In these trying times, Hanes Underwear is here for you. We're going to make it together. And so I'm watching these commercials, and I'm reading these emails from any company I've ever subscribed to, and they keep talking about these unprecedented times. And one phrase they kept using time and time again, and you've probably seen it in a ubiquitous way over the past four months, is the phrase, new normal. You've heard that, right? In this new normal. In this new normal. And I'm sitting here, and I'm holding my then three-month-old son. And I'm thinking, my goodness, yeah, this is a new normal. Because in the period of the past year, everything has changed for my family. This 16-pound disruption who cries through the night has reorganized everything about our lives. And yes, that's true societally. I mean, the fact that you're watching this as you are, I'm like in your living room, I'm on your tablet, I'm in your phone. That's different. That's new. That's unprecedented. This is a new normal. And you can see that just in how you're watching me right now. And that's true in a society, but it's also true on a personal level, especially for me and my family. Our life has changed dramatically. And as I'm praying and thinking through that phrase, new normal, I'm realizing how many of us are in that same place. What does it look like to follow Jesus when everything has changed? I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about in your life when things have been turned upside down, how do you follow Jesus in a new normal? For some of you, that may be a new marriage. For others, it may be the end of an old marriage. For others of you, it may be the birth of a new child. And for others still, it may be the death of a loved one. It may be going to college. It may be not going to college. It may be going to school. It may be watching school online. But how do we follow Jesus when everything has changed? And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to take you through a journey that the Holy Spirit's been taking me on. And I want to focus on a group of people who are feeling out what it means to serve Jesus in a new normal when everything has changed. So if you would today, I want to focus on that group of men and women who are truly understanding what it means to be safer at home in like a really dramatic way who understand what it means to be on lockdown in a dramatic way and to be next to one another and experiencing stress and anxiety and depression in circles and cycles in their own lives in brand new ways and how God is going to take them out of one of the biggest changes of their life into a brave new normal. So if you would, if you're at home, I want to ask you to grab your Bible And turn to the book of John. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And when you get there, turn to John chapter 20, verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. Just before we read this together, to give you a little bit of background, John chapter 20, verse 19 picks up on Easter Sunday evening. We talk a lot about Easter Sunday morning in the church, but we are going to talk about Easter Sunday evening. Jesus Christ, the man who all of these men and women have believed to be the Savior of Israel, has been crucified and has been in the grave for three days. Three days, and in John chapter 20, verse 19, we pick up with the disciples. So, I'm going to read this aloud to us this morning this whole passage. And if you're watching this at home and you're worshiping with a group of people, be it your family or your friends, I'm going to encourage you you know, you might want to hit pause right now on the video or on the streaming device, and and you might just want to read this aloud as a family. Um, the passage is John 19, and, and just read, or sorry, John 20, verse 19, and just read through the end of the chapter. So if you want to pause and read that together, I'll give you time to do that now, and then you can pick up with me afterwards. For those who want to read it with me, uh, we will read it together. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.'" And then he breathed on them. I don't advise anyone breathing on anyone right now. And said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit.'" If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.'" Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, I could see why you would go by Thomas, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where those nails were and put my hand in his side also, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and still believe. And then John writes in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in the book. But these are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we look at this passage of scripture together, may we discern what it means to follow you into a new normal. May we know that though everything around us has changed, you have not. Speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. May we know the comfort that, is, that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, change is stressful. We all know that. If you've been through a major change in your life, you know that change can be really hard on both your body and on your mind. And those changes are especially difficult when they're compounded on top of each other. In 1970, two psychiatrists, one by the name of Thomas Holmes and the other Richard Rahe, decided they would try to study the effects of stress and change on the human body. And in doing that, they would try to determine what changes and what stressors are particularly damaging to the human body. So what they did was they studied patients who had been through big changes and were experiencing psychological and physiological issues, and they ranked the way the changes affected their body. So at the top of the list, the most traumatic changes you can experience in your life are the things you'd probably expect, like the death of a spouse, the death of a loved one. Some of you guys know that. Some of you know what that's like. That's completely upending your life, right? That's a new normal in a whole new way. Also on top of the list, getting fired, getting put in prison, getting a divorce, losing a loved one. These are all things that we all know affect our bodies and our minds with change. But what we may be surprised to know is that these two psychiatrists also found that really good things can affect our body negatively with stress and change. So things like the birth of your first child, or a new marriage or the reconciliation of an old marriage or a new job or retirement things that we think oh those are great things can also be detrimental to the way we live and we can feel those effects in our body physically and in our mind psychologically and what holmes and rahe said was okay it's one thing to experience one change on its own it's another thing to experience two or three or four changes together so the death of a parent and retirement that's a big change. And when you start getting with that level of stress and change and anxiety, that's going to affect your mind and your body or the death of a spouse or a divorce and a new job. Once you start compounding changes on top of each other, you lose sight of reality and it's easy for your body and your mind to feel that stress. So what Holmes and Rahe said was, in moments of great change, it's important to hold on to a constant. What is unchanging in your life? What is the one thing that has not changed in your new normal? And what the disciples are about to learn is that though everything in their life has changed and everything in their life is about to change, God has not. Which is the first thing that we need to understand in following Jesus in a new, new normal. When everything has changed, God has not changed. So picture with me, if you will, a dark and crowded room. It's sundown on the evening of Sunday. It's been three days since the most traumatic event of your life has taken place. The thing that you have followed for the next or the last three years of your life, your livelihood, your joy, your source of hope has been taken from you, brutally and publicly murdered, and your entire life has been turned upside down. So for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you have sat inside a locked room in the dark, and you have considered... What's next? I mean, what now? All my plans have been stripped away. You talk about change upon change upon change. Do I go back to Capernaum and move in with my mother-in-law? Do I start collecting taxes again? Or maybe it's best, y'all, if we just go to Egypt where like no one knows where we're from. What do we do now? How are we even going to get out of Jerusalem? so as you sit there in that locked room, you're contemplating what's next. What's the next thing in my life? And of course, there's been weird rumors floating around. I mean, you heard that someone stole the body, which like, why would anyone steal Jesus's body? And then there's that weird thing that Mary Magdalene said, but I mean, who believes a lady anyway, about how she saw him. And so you're thinking about all those things when all of a sudden, out of that darkness and gloom, a voice speaks, peace be with you. And you know that voice. That voice has been a constant for three years. And he says, peace be with you. And he shows you his hands and he shows you his side. And that's the first thing he does. Now, I I remember when I was a kid, I would listen to the story and I would always think, that's kind of a weird thing to do. Like just like showing your wounds off to people all of a sudden. And, And I remember thinking even as a child, and I still contemplate this and ask this, is why would he want to keep those wounds. I mean, he's Jesus Christ. He's the glorified Son of God in his new resurrected body. If I was choosing a glorified body and the Father said, all right, time to get at it. Let's do a resurrection. Let's go. I'd say, hey, give me, a, give me the, the Tom Selleck. Like, put six inches on top, bigger jaw, bigger arms. I'm not going to choose a bloody, scarred up body, but Jesus does. And he does it for a specific reason. When Jesus shows the disciples his scars and lets them hear his voice, he's showing them that though everything has changed, he is not. He remains the same Jesus. He is the same resurrected Lord that they knew before. The scars have not changed. And I think it's important for us to enter in what that would actually be like. This man was nailed to a cross just days prior. These are bloody wounds. This is an intimate thing he's doing. But when he appears to the disciples, he says, Peace be with you. Here's my hands. Here's my side. You're going to have to know in this new normal, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I am the same God that appeared to you for three years. I am alive. I am not a phantom. I am not a ghost. This is my corporeal body, and these are my scars. Because when everything has changed, I have not. Now that's important. That's important for what he's about to ask the disciples to do because it's important to know that God has not changed because he's going to ask them to do some really big things here in just a second. Verse 21, look with me if you would. Again, Jesus said, and this is funny, he says it twice. I think it's because the disciples were so excited. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Remember that only begotten of God thing, coming to save the earth thing? I am sending you out as God sent me out. And then he says, uh, or then he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you don't forgive anyone's sins, their sins will not be forgiven. He gives them a monumental task. And in order for them to fulfill that task, they have to know that God is trustworthy and has not changed. Because everything in their life is going to have to change if they're going to fulfill that task. I think it's important at this moment to remind us here this morning that your job remains the same as the disciples'. That's right. In the same way that the disciples were called to make followers of Jesus, to preach forgiveness of sins and were sent out into the world in the same way that the Father sent the Son, God has sent you out into the world as the Father sent the Son to make disciples. That is your job. And though everything in the world would be turned upside down, and everything would change, your job remains the same. And that's true no matter what you've been through personally. Whether you're newly married or newly divorced, whether you're newly employed or newly fired, whether you're newly graduated or newly enrolled, your job as a disciple of Jesus Christ, because God has not changed, remains the same. Make disciples. For us as a church going into a new normal in social distancing and COVID and isolation, it's important for us to remember our job has not changed this should come up as a comfort to us, right? No, no matter what the Dallas COVID totals are tomorrow afternoon in Dallas County, or no matter what RISD's social distancing school policy is going to be, or no matter what the election results in our November, our job as the Church of Jesus Christ has remained the same for the past 2,000 years. Make disciples. Make disciples. And so when Jesus shows his scars, he's saying, in order to do that big thing, you are going to have to believe a big thing. You're going to have to believe that I haven't changed. You're going to have to believe that I'm trustworthy. And stop for a second and realize what those hurdles of belief would be like for the disciples. Okay, so against all common knowledge and all physical evidence, this man that they just saw nailed up to a cross is alive. And Jesus is asking them to believe that. And then, against all conventional wisdom of their religion in which they were raised in, he's asking them to believe that a man has the power to forgive sins. Will you believe that? Those are huge hurdles to overcome. And because the disciples can see him with their eyes, see his scars, see his side, they know that that's an easy thing for them to believe. And I remember reading this passage as a kid and as a teenager, and even today, and thinking, "Oh boy, that's easy for the disciples. They saw Jesus with their eyes." That would be really easy for us to believe that God hasn't changed if we could see him with our eyes in times of great change. And if you're listening to this this morning and you're thinking that, you are in good company. You're in good company with me. And you're also in good company with one of the disciples in this story. So let's keep reading. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, he's about to get a new nickname. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Great time to step out for a cigarette, Thomas. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He doesn't believe that. He says to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where those nails are and put my hand into his side, I'm never going to believe. So when everything changes, God has not. But Thomas is not so sure. He hasn't seen the same things that the other disciples have seen. He, he's seen him nailed on the cross, but he hasn't seen the nail marks in his hands. He's seen them stabbed in the side, but he hasn't seen the wound in his side. And some of you who are listening to this message this morning may feel the same way. Hey, look, Zane, you have all these experiences following the Lord. I I listened to Pastor Aaron on Sunday morning. He has all these experiences following the Lord. And so did my grandparents and my parents. And I don't have that. So I'm not so sure that I can trust God when everything has changed. Let's see what Jesus does with Thomas. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Verse 26. Though the doors were locked, and I just want to stop here real quick and notice this. It's not just Thomas who's having problems with doubts. The, lock, the doors are still locked, even though the disciples have been sent out. It's really easy. It's a very high possibility it happens to everyone to believe that jesus christ is risen from the grave and yet still live like he's dead that's what the disciples are doing so though the doors are locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you does that sound familiar then he turns to thomas and he says put your finger here reach out your hands and put them into my side stop doubting and believe and here thomas is confronted with a choice jesus looks across the room he says come here Touch me, feel me, stop doubting, and believe. Which raises the question, when everything changes, God has not. So when everything changes, are you going to choose faith? Are you going to choose faith? So right now in your personal life, as you go from one old reality to a new reality, are you going to choose faith in Jesus Christ? And I use that word choice very intentionally. Choosing faith is a choice. I think a lot of times in church we think of faith as like as this thing that we know in our brain. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus is alive or something that we understand. And, And I just want to tell you all right now, faith is a choice. It's not the same thing as knowing. It's not the same thing as guessing. It's not the same thing as hedging our bets and choosing the most likely option. Faith is a choice that's dependent on relationship, which means do you know Jesus to be trustworthy? And are you willing to place your faith in him? Now, a lot of you guys have heard my personal story before about my journey in faith. And I've talked about it before on Sunday mornings. I've led workshops in it on Sunday afternoons. I've talked to kids about it a lot because my personal story and my personal journey of faith has been one that's been riddled with doubts. I can remember as a kid, preachers standing up and saying, "Um, you've got to know that you know that you know that Jesus is alive. Have you guys ever heard that? And I understand the meaning behind it. But to me, that scared me to death. Because I thought, oh, I don't know if I know. I have some real concerns. How do we know God is saying the truth in his word? How do I know that God is with me? How do I know that Jesus is alive? And so I really struggled with my life and my faith and my doubt for many years of my life. Until at one point, God confronted me with a choice. And he said, Zane, I'm asking you to choose if I'm alive or not. Are you going to choose to believe that? And that's how faith works. Faith is choosing to trust God, even when other things may suggest otherwise. And some of you guys listening to this right now may really sympathize with that, especially if you're in a time of great change in your life. You may sympathize with the idea of, I don't know if I can trust God. I just, I'm not sure right now, Zane. I'm not sure if I can trust God. In which I want to point out to you what Jesus does to Thomas when he does the same thing. Jesus, in talking to Thomas, who doubts his resurrection, says what? He says, Thomas, come closer. You see my hands? Put your fingers there. You see my side? Put your hand there. And maybe that's the word you need to hear this morning. In a world of six feet and don't touch me, Jesus is inviting you to come closer and touch him. If you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling to believe God as you go into a brave new normal of trusting Jesus Christ, if you're struggling to make that decision to choose faith, I would invite you to do the same thing as Thomas, which is step in close to Jesus. He is so gentle with Thomas here. He is so understanding to him and he is to you. Jesus knows you. He loves you. And he's gentle and patient. Now, now, all of, all of these moments in Thomas's life have led to this one moment where he is asked to trust Jesus. And Jesus says, will you trust me? And what does Thomas say? Well, look at verse 28. Thomas says to him, he turns and he says, what's his reply? He says, my Lord and my God. Y'all, Thomas just said it. At at this point in the biblical narrative, Thomas is the only one beyond perhaps Mary Magdalene, and she's crazy anyway, right? He's the only one to say, this man is God. And we call him a doubter. My Lord and my God. In a new normal, Thomas has chosen faith. He's chosen to believe that God has not changed. And John doesn't stop with Thomas here. I really like what John does in his gospel because it's almost like he's breaking the fourth wall. It's like he's looking at the camera and he's winking because what he goes on to say next, he, he quotes Jesus. He says, hey, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed, blessed are those who have not seen me, you and me, and have believed. And then John, as if writing to us all, says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you, you and me, may believe. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John comes to us and he says, here's the evidence. I've taken you through his life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Nicodemus, you must be born again if you would like to be saved. Go and tell the disciples and Peter, my Lord and my God. And John has taken us through all of that, and he turns to the audience and he says, now what are you going to do with this? In your new reality, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to trust yet again or for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? So what do I have for you this morning? I have a simple task, and that's this. As you move into a new stage of your life, whatever that looks like, however scary that may be, I'm going to ask you to double down and ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God? And to do that, here's what I ask us to do as a church. I'm going to be doing this with you this week. Find a quiet spot for 10 or 15 minutes sometime this week and sit down and open your Bible and really ask yourself, do I believe this? Now, for some of you, that will be easy. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a really long time and you can answer right off the top of your dome. Yes, of course. Of course, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, I'm willing to follow him into a new normal. This is going to my, be my changeless reality in a time of great change. If that's you and you don't even have to think about it, I'm going to encourage you to slow down. Slow down. Take inventory of your life. Am I living like this? Am I willing to live like this, like Jesus is alive? So for some of you, that'll be an easy question to answer and you're quiet 10 minutes. For others of you, it will be really hard. And for those of you who that's a hard question to answer, man, I don't know if I trust Jesus. I don't know if I've ever trusted Jesus. Then what I want you to do is I also want you to slow down and I want you to go closer to him. Come to him with your doubts. Come to him with your questions, with the things that have been traumatic and new in your life. Come to Jesus with those. See his hands in his side and just spend time with him. Just spend time with him. So for some of you, that will be really easy. Do I believe this? For some of you, that will be really hard. Do I believe this? And for others of you, that will be brand new if you take 10 minutes this week and ask, do I believe that Jesus is alive? And if that's you, praise God. You know, and I, I just want to turn to the kids in particular right now who are watching this because I have this conversation with you kids all the time. Your faith is not the same as your parents' faith. At some point in your life, you're going to have to stop and ask yourself the question, do I believe that Jesus is God's son and am I willing to make him my Lord? So I just want to ask you this week, kids, make that decision and then come to your parents and tell them. And it may be that that's the time we celebrate in baptism. That may be that's the time that we celebrate new life in Jesus Christ. So that's what I have for you this week. I want you to just sit, be quiet, and like Thomas, ask yourself, do I believe in a new normal that God has not changed? And am I choosing to place my faith in him? Well, uh, before we dismiss It would be a really sad thing if I didn't go on to talk about what happens when people choose to follow Jesus Christ and choose to place their faith in him in a new normal. So I'm going to show you a slide. This is a map of India, and you can see down in the far south of India, there's a region that's highlighted called Kerala. And, man, this is really far from Palestine, right? All the way down in Kerala. And in Kerala, there's this group of individuals called the Malabar Nazrani that have been worshiping in temples and in churches in that area for a long, long time. And if you look at the exterior of their temples, here's a picture for you, they almost look like the Hindu temples in the neighboring areas. But if you go inside, look at what you see. They're taking the Eucharist. They're praying hymns. They're singing together. They're worshiping Jesus Christ. Well, the Malabar and Aserani have been worshiping Jesus Christ for a really, really long time. This is one of the oldest churches in the world. In fact, they date and trace back their lineage back to the first century A.D. So hundreds of years before the gospel would ever really take root in Rome in a a magnificent and grand way or take root on the coasts of Great Britain, the gospel took root in India. In the first century. And it was because about 10 or 15 years after the story we read today, a strange traveler showed up with a word from Jesus Christ. And uh, the wonders of modern technology, we actually have a picture of that right now. There he is. Yeah, I love that. Now look at what he's explaining to this woman in this picture. If you see above his head, there's a cross, right? And on the cross, it's really emphasizing the wounds in the person's hands who was suffering on the cross and a wound around their side. And notice this too, the cross is empty. Y'all, this is Thomas. This is doubting Thomas. Tradition holds that after Thomas confessed his faith in Jesus Christ, he would go and sail over 3,000 miles, outstripping anything Paul ever did, to go to India and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Indians in Kerala. Some think that he may have made it as far north as China or as far south of Indonesia before being martyred in Chennai. That is what the God of the New Testament offers those of us who follow him in in a new normal. That can be your legacy if you choose to believe that though everything has changed, God is not. And if you choose to place your faith in him, let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your presence and your changelessness. We are thankful for the risen body of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that though things in our lives may have changed dramatically and though we may have experienced trauma and distress over the past few months, that you remain and our job remains the same. We pray that you would help us to move mightily into that job by placing our faith in you. And that like Thomas, we would have a legacy that lives far beyond us in strange and distant places. We love you. We ask that you would hear our prayers this morning and that our worship would delight you. In Jesus' name I pray.